All right, well, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And I know we've kind of made this joke a few times during this series, but um, it's just like hard sermon after hard sermon. I'm not going to lie. And I, I feel like sometimes Jesus did not get the memo about fluffy sermons. Like, I feel like he did not, he, he didn't really do the thing where he's like, okay, how can I say this in the least offensive way possible? How can I talk about the easiest things possible? Because I just, I want him to like get to know me a little bit and be, we'll be really gentle, kind of ease him in and then we'll kind of scale it up as we go. Jesus didn't do that. He comes right out and he preaches about a kingdom that radically confronts the kingdoms that they had been living in the kingdoms they had been serving. And so this morning, we get to talk about what, part of what Jesus says about money. And it's important to realize that this sermon really isn't primarily about money, nor is it primarily about giving. It is about worship. Because nothing changes in this. This is still one sermon, and Jesus is preaching a kingdom that has come, that he has brought. It is about the kingdom of God and it is about your heart. And he wants everyone to experience the abundant life of the kingdom of God. And so after talking about not practicing righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them, because then you've received the reward, the reward that you are pursuing, that is what you have received. He's going to expand that and talk about these treasures. So just like he says, hey, if, you, if what you want, if the reward you are seeking by doing these things are the praises of men, then that is what you will get and that is all you will get. In a sense, he's, he's telling them, don't settle for a lesser reward. There is a better reward by one who sees far more clearly. And he's going to talk about now a kingdom and a treasure that is far more valuable than the smaller treasures that we pursue. It's a better reward, a better kingdom, a better reality. And just like he does with prayer that we'll talk about in a few weeks, he expands on the issue of treasure. Father, help us this morning as we look at your word to be faithful in the preaching of it and the hearing of it and the loving of it so that we might obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also pause here. It's, it's a pretty straightforward statement that he's making. Why would you lay up treasures for yourself here on earth where, where moths destroy, where rust, where rust destroys, where thieves break in and steal? Why would you do that? And we know that that's the case of all the earthly treasures that we could pursue, all the earthly means that we can, dreams and, and visions that we can go after here on earth. We know that they fade away. We know that they are, that they are um, fragile we can see that in our economy and in, in any investments that we have. We see it in, in new cars. I, um, I drive around 
um, when it starts, I drive around an old, um, an old suburban. And I like to tell my kids in it that, hey, at one point, this was a really fancy vehicle. Right? Like at one point, there was no rust on it. Now there's rust on it. At one point, like the seats were all in perfect condition. They are not in perfect condition. At one point, it smelled new. It does not smell new, though I don't know if that's the car's fault so much, but it doesn't. It's not new. It all fades. Like, it's ultimately, like, if you bought that, whoever bought that, when they bought it brand new, if they bought that as, like, an investment in something that would last, it was foolish. Because it doesn't. It fades. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't say, just like he doesn't with rewards. Remember with rewards, he doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't seek a reward. He says, seek a better reward. And the same thing goes here. He doesn't say, you, like, you, don't need, you shouldn't need any treasure. Just, just knowing that you're being a good person should be treasure enough. He doesn't say that. Rather, he says, make a wise investment. Like that investment, those worldly things that you're pursuing, they're going to fade away. They're not going to last. There's a better investment. One that is, that is rock solid. One that is guaranteed. So it's important, even as he talks about this, that we frame this, that Jesus isn't saying that, that money itself is bad or that, that making money is evil and that you shouldn't ever work hard to, to, to make money or you shouldn't succeed at business or anything like that. That's not his point at all. He's saying that invest wisely. 1 Timothy 6, Paul expands this. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is what Paul is reminding Timothy of what Jesus said. He says, don't, don't let them set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. They're fading away. It's not going to last. Don't let them put their hope in that. But rather on God, who is the source of all riches, including the ones that are far beyond, the ones that are far better, the ones that are lasting, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's the opportunity that Jesus gives. It's a better investment for your time and your money and your energy in the kingdom. Treasures in heaven are lasting and they are beyond imagine. As Jesus talks about these, I think of what Paul said as it is written, quoting Isaiah, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So the claim that Jesus is making is the treasures that you can pursue, the things you can invest in here on earth are temporary, they are fading, they will be destroyed, they will be lost, they will be stolen away, they will be taken and removed. 
And we are reminded of that day after day after day. I could give a million examples, but every single one of us has stories of things that we pursued, things that we thought were going to fulfill us, only to see them fail in that and fade away and no longer have the value to us that they once did. And what he's saying is there is a better investment and that treasure that you're storing up for yourself is beyond anything you could even imagine And it is assured. And the question this morning is very simply, do you believe it? Do you see it that way? If we believed it, it would be like someone at your place of work saying, hey, we have a new retirement plan. A lot of businesses do like a matching for a 401k like if they came forward and they said, you know, we've got a new retirement plan. We want to retain employees. And so we are now going to, for every dollar you put into your retirement, we're going to put in 10. We're going to 10 times, we're going to like multiply your offer by 10. And there's, there's no limit on this. You can give as much as you want and we will multiply it by 10 and we will contribute that much. What would you do? What would you be advised to do? Like you would be advised, hey, give every cent you possibly can. Right? Don't hold anything back. Well, yeah, but I want a, I want a coffee. Like give up the coffee. Like give it, give it like as much as you possibly can. But let me ask you this. What if you heard that and you said, yeah, I don't actually believe that that's going to be there when I retire. Anybody had that situation? We're not going to get into those side conversations here, but we all have that situation. You're like, yeah, but what if it's not there? Okay, so now they tell you, hey, we're going to match it. We're going to give you 10 times, but there's probably a 50% chance that it's not going to be there. Ah, now that changes things a little bit. Yeah, Social Security. Yes, I just said. <laughs> when do you leave again? When is that? Okay, so it's... It would change things, right? Like it would change things. And so what would you do? What would you do? If it was like a 50% chance, you might say, okay, I'm going to give some of that, but I don't know that I'm going to give everything I have. Or depending on your, your dealing with risk and how you feel about that, you might sway one way or the other. But whatever you're going to do, you're going to hedge your bets, right? Now, no longer is the advice going to be like, give every cent you have. It's going to be like, hey, be careful. It might be something like, hey, give, don't give every cent that you have. Give every cent that you can. Like, in, give every cent that, that is extra. Like, if you want to give extra, like, do, do that. It'd be something like that. And that's the question that's facing us when Jesus says, don't invest here in these things. Invest in the kingdom where it lasts. The question is, do you believe him? Or do you say, ah, maybe... Maybe 50-50 chance? Maybe 70%? And how we function in light of that, that determines how we live out our faith, whether we believe Him. It affects our heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is what God is after. Let me be really clear. 
Jesus is after your heart. That's why he cares about your treasure. Not the other way around. God doesn't need your money. He's God. But he wants your heart. And so he talks about this. And he's asking, if you want your heart, do you, where do you want your heart to be? Do you want it entrenched in what the world offers, a world that is fading and temporary? Or do you want it to be entrenched and rooted where there is eternal, abundant life? It's all in contrast to what Jesus said about not going, not giving to be seen by others. He doesn't say, don't give. Or don't worry about giving. He's saying, give to the right things. Invest in the right things. It's a little bit like a financial advisor. Like if Ellen moves to Arizona, if she has someone that has a great investment opportunity for her to sell snow shovels in Arizona, it's a bad investment. Like better to invest in like sunscreen or something that is going to be used. And, and Jesus, is, some of this is so simple that he's just saying, it's a bad investment over here. I've got a better one for you. And the question is just, do you see it? And seeing what you cannot see is faith. As the author of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Why does he say that? He says it because he's saying if you, you have to believe he exists and believe what he says. And Jesus says he rewards those who seek him. So you have to believe him. That's what faith is. And the question is, do you see it? And that's why he says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I don't know about you, but this has sometimes been a little confusing for me. And I'm like, what, what in the world's going on? There is something to be said for in the ancient world. They viewed the, kind of the, the eye as like a window. Like light comes in through it and that's how you can see and process and everything. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, of that truth in there. But like, obviously, he's not talking about, you know, optometry here. He's dealing with something far deeper. And it's not the only time where Jesus uses this imagery. One of my favorite, um, just my favorite kind of like, what in the world? moments in scripture is in Matthew 13, where after sharing the, the parable of the sower and the seeds, the disciples ask Jesus, hey Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And he said, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Wait, what? Jesus, why do you teach in parables? Oh, that's easy, so they won't understand. Well, you're doing a bang-up job then. Kudos on that, because we don't get what you're saying. Why would he do that? I think it's this. It's because faith is not primarily about what you think about Jesus. It is about what you see when you look at him. 
And we often think, oh, no, no, no. Faith, Christianity, is about agreeing with these intellectual ideas. Not to say that those intellectual ideas are not important. That's how we know who God is and how we get to know him and love him more deeply. However, the only way that you even value those things or love them is determined by what you see when you look at him. And he said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so he says, if you see this, if you see the kingdom in this way, if you see the treasures that are hidden here, if you see that, then everything is flooded with light. If you see the rewards for those who trust Christ, if you see the kingdom as more valuable than anything, then even the darkness of the world is light. Even the darkness of cancer is flooded with light. See, when the aim of your life is to glorify God, and to pursue the kingdom, and to store up for yourself treasures in heaven, to enjoy now and for all eternity, if that is the aim of your life, then what can destroy you? If the aim of your life is retirement, then the darkness of economic collapse destroys you. If the aim of your life is to have children, then the darkness of infertility crushes you. If the aim of your life is comfort, then the darkness of pain overcomes you. If the aim of your life is your reputation, then false accusations will overwhelm you. If the aim of your life is to be seen as successful, to be seen as faithful, to be seen as good at something, then failure will destroy you. But if your aim is to be faithful in all circumstances, because you believe the reward is better than the rewards of the world, the praises of men, or a comfortable retirement, then those things end up serving your true aim. They are the lens through which all the light flows and floods every part of your soul. And you're bulletproof. Doesn't mean there's not grief. Doesn't mean there's not sorrow. But ultimately, the aim of your life, where you are pushing, the treasures that you are investing in and pursuing, the hope of your life is still very much there and is only more greatly served for those trials that you're going through. But if you don't see it, if your eye is bad and cannot see the glories of the kingdom, and you do not value it as a treasure hidden in a field, then everything is dark. Even the good gifts that God gives us end up in darkness. Like even the good gift of marriage is darkness as it is used 
in service of satisfying yourself. The good gift of health is darkness as it is used to pursue vanity. Or as I've found in my life, the good gift of being able to be a participant in ministry is darkness as it is used to replace my identity in Christ. Even the church body becomes darkness where we downgrade belief out of seeing into just being an intellectual agreement that God exists. Christianity is reduced to a political ideology or a moral philosophy. And so we take Hebrews 11.6 and we paraphrase it. Now I believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. But I define seeking him by doing the things that I think are right. And I define rewards by the things that I value. And so even scripture becomes darkness. And I see this. It's been one of the great sadnesses in my time in ministries when you're trying to point out what Jesus says about these things and people react. And we push back. And I think it's why we do that, even in our own hearts, why we respond with deflection and defensiveness and try to retranslate things so that it fits better or makes us feel better and fits into the life that we've determined is the best way to live. And we try to stretch everything and make it fit. And it presses against us when we read the words of Jesus. And it reminds us that our heart is not fully on board and we don't fully want the kingdom that he has given us. That's why so much time and energy is spent on trying to say Jesus couldn't possibly mean what he has said in the Sermon on the Mount because it doesn't fit. And I've been hit by this reality more often than I would want that not everyone who says they want the kingdom that Jesus offers wants the kingdom that Jesus offers. Of whom I am the foremost. It's a battle we face every day. Every single one of us. And if you don't see that, then I would say that's an indication you're losing it. You're losing the battle. So he says, what do you see? What do you see when someone says something evil against you? Is it a threat to your kingdom and your reputation? Or is it an opportunity to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and lay hold of the true kingdom? What do you see when there's an opportunity to use your gifts to serve? Is it, a, is it an incredible investment opportunity? Or is it an obstacle to what you really want to be doing? What do you see when you have the opportunity to invest time, sacrificial amounts of time in the church family? I'm not talking about programs that check a, a box. I'm, I'm talking about the time that it takes to really connect and invest in people and to love them and care for them. What do you see? Do you see another commitment that keeps you from the things of the world? Or do you see an investment opportunity? And when you have the opportunity to give financially, what do you see? 
If this is your first Sunday here, you might be thinking, great. Perfect Sunday to start. Another church talking about money. I understand, but I would just like to point out that Jesus started it. (laughs) So don't blame me. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus specifically calls out money. In fact, here the, the word, um, there's one time where I like the King James Version, because it's um, mammon in the King James Version, um, which is like a god. So that, it wasn't just like this intangible kind of, or money, this, it, it's, uh, he's talking about God. You can't serve these two gods. This is a, not about what you do with your money. It's about who you worship. And you cannot have two masters, though boy do we try. Right? I find that early, I find that early in a person's faith, the enemy's desire is to make that person turn completely from Christ. Right, to harden their heart toward the gospel. But once a person is be- believes and is saved, then his attention turns to convincing them that they can obey God and serve themselves at the same time. So you can put a little bit into that treasure and then like, and also invest some in, in this treasure too. You, just, you can hedge your bets, just like Eve in the garden. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can pursue both the world and the kingdom of God. Because who knows? Like, what if, what if that isn't end up being real? Like, what if that, what if that inheritance doesn't pay off? What, is it, what if it doesn't come through? But Jesus says, no. You can't do that. He says, because you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Oh, what does he mean by that? It's important to know, like, despising and hating here doesn't, doesn't mean, like, what we think of when we think necessarily of, like, hating overtly. It, it means turning from. It means, like, taking, like, saying, no, I, I no longer put any hope in this. I turn from this, and I put all of my hope here. That's shown in, like, Luke 14. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters— Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Sounds like some Thanksgiving dinners I've heard of. Like, he's not saying, he's not like removing, hey, honor your mother and father. That's not the point of that. He's saying, no, you turn from one. You no longer put your hope or your identity in what your mom and dad think about you. Because he knows that some of them, it's going to turn. Like, Within a family, some people are going to say, I am all in with Jesus. He is the Messiah. All my treasure is going in there. And people will think that's weird. And, they, and in that culture especially, parents had much more authority over even grown children. Like in our culture, we're like, man, I can't even get my 10-year-old to unload the dishwasher. Like how, why does it matter at all what I say about his faith? Like, well, there it mattered. And so he's saying, like, you, you can't like, do that. Only people who reject their mother and father's approval or their identity and their hope in that to follow him can be his disciples or even their own lives. Like hating your own life to even turning from what you believe, what I believe is like, this is what I want for my life. 
Say, if you don't turn from that and don't put your hope in that and turn to me, you can't be my disciple. These are heavy things. He's saying the kingdom is worth giving all of that up. In fact, it is only for those who give up everything. But we like to hedge. I don't know if you remember several years ago, many years ago now, but I mean, it's still popular, but it became really popular maybe 15, 20 years ago in Christian business circles to talk about Jesus as CEO. There are books written and testimonies given that when CEOs led like Jesus, then their businesses were blessed. And by blessed, they meant successful. And I'm not saying that CEOs should not lead like Jesus. By all means, do that. And I'm also not saying that God doesn't choose to financially bless some of those for the glory of the kingdom. There are a lot of Christian businessmen and women who have made a lot of money and have given a ton of money to ministries that do incredible kingdom work. But what if following Jesus in that means making a choice that will destroy your business? What if it means bankruptcy? What if it means failure in the world's eyes? What if being faithful to God means prioritizing your family and not getting the overtime that you need? What if being faithful to God means taking a lower paying job, which means less retirement in a smaller house? And the pattern is almost always the same in us, whether it's money or anything else, that this trying to have these two masters is I try to make peace between the masters. I mean, we can do both. We can find where you overlap and I can please both. But what always ends up happening is I end up resenting God. Because he ultimately becomes the one who's keeping me from the thing that my heart truly desires. So the answer isn't not to make money or not have a retirement account or to take a vow of poverty. The answer is to turn from money as your pursuit and comfort and security and hope. How in the world do I know if I'm doing that? Give. Give radically. You might say, wait, well, isn't, isn't that works righteousness? No, it's not. I'll show you why. Why does Jesus talk so much about money if he cares about my heart? Well, like we said, he knows that where your treasure is, your heart will be. It is because he cares about your heart that he talks about money. Because there is no greater diagnostic test of your heart than what you do with money. And there's no greater way to strengthen your faith. I think I've shared this before, but I have a friend uh, who's a pastor for many years. And when someone would ask, what, what can I do to grow in my faith? I don't feel close to God. I, I feel like, what, what do I do? His number one answer was to give. When he first told me that, I was like, well, I, I don't really love that. It's got to be like, there's other things, right? And it should be noted, by the way, this is a dude who, who lived um, on very little and gave radically. So just so you're picturing a guy who would say this, this is not a guy who was um, living like in an extravagant way at all. 
and then gave just ridiculous amounts of, of money, like of whatever did come in. He was sharing it because that was also his testimony, but he also pointed out, he used, he, um, used an illustration about this passage, and he, he said, it, 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 would be, it would be like a person that comes to you and says, I, 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 wanna, I wanna grow, um, I, want, I want help in my marriage. I wanna grow closer to my spouse. And you find out that they're having an affair. And you call that out and say, well, you, you need to stop having this affair. If they said, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to deal with that right now. I just, I want to grow, but I want to grow closer. I want my marriage to get stronger. So could you give me like some communication helps? You know, maybe some date night ideas? Maybe just some, what does the Bible say about how I'm supposed to love my wife? Like, well, you're, you're, the Bible says stop committing adultery. Yeah, yeah, that's like, that's like advanced stuff. Like, let's, we'll get to that eventually maybe. Well, I don't, I don't want to deal with that right now. Like, I, wanna, I want some other stuff. Give me some other stuff. Like, how ridiculous would that be? That would be completely ridiculous. And so when Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money, he's talking about worship, which is idolatry, which the Bible calls adultery. And so why would we think that it makes sense at all to say, no, 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 I want to grow closer to God, but I'm not going to give up this idol. I'm not going to address that. I, I don't want to talk about that. You're just gonna, like, that's, a, that's a guilt trip. I don't want to hear about that. I want to give me something else. Give me a Bible study that I can do. Give me, give me a prayer I can pray. Give me something, something else that I can do. We'd say, give. It's the best diagnostic test to what you value. And it's the best exercise of your faith. Why? What's the most tangible expression of your faith? Listen, you can hedge your bets on time and energy, right? Like you, we can, we're good at multitasking. I can serve with my gifts in order to be seen and get both. I can be like, okay, I do something good for the church and I get recognized and noticed and so that's pretty good. Or I get to use my gifts and I love using my gifts like to play music or to do whatever, like I, I, to teach. I enjoy doing that. So yes, I'm giving, but I'm also getting something very tangible from that. Right, like I can, I can develop relationships and that's like there's, there's like, there's a hedging of bets that even if I develop this friendship and care for this person, there's also benefits from that. So even, even if it um, like doesn't turn out to be true, like at least I've got some good friends out of the deal and so that's pretty good. But with giving, there's none of that. When you write a check and you drop it in the box or you go online and you give, it's gone. tangible it's also immediate like if you want to care and spend time and energy and serving like that takes time to figure out like well where do I plug in and get to hear some things and like oh that's I can even kind of delay things because I can say well you know oh, that's not the right opportunity I'm going to go over here and I'm going to join this bible study and like nah it wasn't a perfect fit maybe I'll jump into this small group and like I can I have ways that I can navigate that and go in a circle for a really long time so they don't actually ever invest what, what I'm called to invest but but with money like you either give or you don't there aren't any logistics that need to be figured out. Like you just give. I mean, how many times have you thought during a service 
I should, I should definitely do that. I want to be a part of that. And then you put it off and you forget and it just doesn't happen. Both giving can be done now. And if I were to say to you right now, like, hey, give, give 10% to the church of your first fruits. What rises up in you? Deflection? Now, oh, well, one day I hope to you know, be able to give, but once we get a little more stable, we'll give. Defiance? Well, who are you to say that? Defensiveness? Like, oh, I, I give in other ways. I give of my time, I give you know, in other ways, and those are just as valid. Would just say that that reveals that you do not despise what money has to offer you. You do not reject it. And Jesus is really clear about what that means. And by the way, giving is just the most effective way to grow. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like, it's the one place where our heart is influenced by our minds and what we know. Most of the time, like our heart colors everything that our minds think. This is one opportunity where you get to go in reverse. Like have you ever been in a situation where you knew what you should do and you knew it was better, but you didn't want to do it? It was like every time I go to Culver's, every single time, I have this debate in my head. Jay, you know what you should do. Yes, I do. You know what will make you feel better. Yes, I do. Why didn't you do it? Sorry. But when you do it, something happens, right? Like sometimes you do go forward and you do say, you know what, I, I, maybe this morning you were that way. I don't want to come to church. But you do. And then what happens? You feel differently, Right? So see what happens. When your mind says, your mind and your body just say, all right, mind, body, we got to work together on this thing. Whatever the heart says, like we're just doing this. We are going, we're stepping out in faith and we're just going and we're going to let our heart catch up. Your heart actually will catch up because when you do that, like when I have gotten to that place and I ordered a salad and then as I'm driving away from Culver's, my heart's like, ah, oh, that was better. Now, of course, our hearts are fickle and we forget, but that's the process of sanctification to keep reminding and saying, no, 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 this is the better thing. It is a gift that God gives us the opportunity to give. And by the way, he doesn't, the reason why it's not works righteousness is because God doesn't put that in front of you to prove to him what the condition of your heart is. He already knows. It's a gift to you and me so that we can see, oh, I thought my heart was in a different place, but it actually turns out this is where it is. So if you want to know what you value, that's, that's how. There's not a better way. I mean, by the way, even the world knows this. That's why we say things like, if we make bold claims, and you say, no, 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 I'm really confident in this, what's a phrase that we'll use? Put your... Money where your mouth is. Right? It's 
So even the world knows, like, yeah, yeah, you can say a lot of things, you can give a lot of things to that cause, but if you really believe in that, put your money where your mouth is. Even the world knows that's a test of true belief. And the question is, do you believe? And by the way, if, if we believe that for you individually, then we have to believe that as a family. That's why we give you know, over 10% of our money towards missions. And that doesn't change. In fact, it's increasing. And I'm envisioning a day, and we talk about this all the time, where we just want to give more and more. We just want to keep increasing that. I hope, I hope someday that we're giving away 50% of what comes in. And we'll just keep pursuing that. We don't want to take the money that comes in and spend it on our own entertainment, our own comfort. We want to be a blessing. We want to demonstrate the worthiness of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is more valuable than anything. And those who see it, see it. And they receive it. And those who don't, don't. And even many who think they are seeing it aren't seeing it. And again, you can look at Palm Sunday and say, look, they didn't see it. They thought they saw it. They're calling out glory to God in the highest, Hosanna. And then they're yelling, crucify him. And giving and investing in treasures in heaven is a way to pursue that. Listen, we, we are the light of the world because he is the light of the world. You aren't alone in this. This is not an individual pursuit, like I said. And we all struggle with this individually every day. So we need one another's encouragement to remind each other to look. Do you see? Is it worth it? For those of you that right now are on really tough roads, and we've talked about this a lot, there are a lot of people in this church that are on really hard roads roads that I don't understand. And I've had my own roads that have been really hard to walk. The question is not like, it's not about putting on a happy face. It's not about saying that doesn't hurt. It's not about saying, oh, that's no big deal. That wasn't wrong. That didn't, like, it's not about any of that. It's about the question of, do you see the kingdom? Do you see that whatever has happened to you up until this moment, not a single thing can knock you off the path if your hope is in the kingdom, if your desire is that treasure? If that's your desire, then anything that you have gone through this point, as, as tragic and as horrible and as painful as it is, as you grieve, God is saying the treasure is still there. Like you're making giant investments in the kingdom. And let me just say this. If you're sitting in here and you're hearing that and you're saying, that's, that's hard. I want to believe that. But I'm really struggling with that right now. Let me tell you, God's posture towards you is one of compassion. He knows. I'm always struck by Jesus going up to Mary and Martha when Lazarus is dead and they are weeping and accusing Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for grieving. He doesn't say, what's wrong with you? Like, put on a happy face, don't you know? Like, this is all gonna be all right? And even though he knows what he's going to do, what is his response to them? He weeps with them. 
And in my life, when I have been on those hard roads of failure, of brokenness, mentioned my identity in ministry, and when my, the church that we planted, invested in, fell apart, and I just felt like my identity crashing down around me, and I grieved and wondered, is this even worth it? And God met me in the midst of that and wept with me, even though he knew exactly what he was doing. Because he loves me, and he loves you, and he's with you. It's not a guilt trip to say, hey, buck up and look at that treasure. It's saying, look at the treasure. It's worth it. It's valuable beyond measure. It's more incredible than you could even imagine. I know this is hard, but it's worth it. And they said, we've given up everything to follow you. He said, you didn't give up anything. You're not going to get repaid 10 times, 100 times. Not because we owe you something but because we love you. That's the promise. Because the kingdom of heaven is the treasure, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Do you see it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, I thank you that even in the midst of our unbelief that you give us faith to believe. I thank you, God, that even in the midst of our unbelief and our fickle hearts that does not change one ounce of the assuredness of our inheritance or the treasure and the reality of the kingdom. And Lord, I thank you that it's not just something that is off an eternity someday, but it is what we can experience now, the abundant life that you offer us now, the peace of knowing that you see us, you know us, you love us, that you are with us, that you look on us with compassion. And I can't even fathom, God, how you look on rebels with compassion And how you can end up on the cross, Lord Jesus, and say to the very people who praised you and then cried out, crucify him, how you can say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is not based on us. It is based on you. So Lord, I pray for those right now who are on those hard roads who have wondered and are honestly saying, like, I don't know if it's worth it, Lord. I pray that they would not find their hope in their ability to resolve in their own mind that it's worth it, but that they would put their hope in the work that you have done in your character, in your nature, and believe you when you say it's worth it. Because there are many questions that will be left unanswered on this side of eternity. And there will be many hurts that will be not fully healed on this side of eternity. But one day, you will make all things right. You will heal every hurt. You will wipe away every tear. And we can receive that gift and the joy of knowing that that promise is rock solid and it is sure and we can experience that life now help us 
In Jesus' name, amen.